there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. There's a film in 1951 called The Thing from Another World. John Carpenter remade that film and called it The Thing in 1982. And as I was thinking about something about this work, it reminded me of the film. The thing in us is from another world. And now it lives deep within us and prevents self-change. But we really don't know what this thing is. We can't really identify it. And there's a reason for that, too. Self-change must be understood in order to be attempted. There are a lot of people in life who are not attempting to transform themselves, who are not attempting to change themselves, who are not attempting to progress spiritually, psychologically. They're not interested in esoteric ideas. Someone told me the other day, I'll never fit into your world. And I said, well, that's really interesting because you wrote me an email when you left here and said that same thing. This is not a good fit for me. And I said, of course it's not a good fit for you. It's not a good fit for any of us. And we all know that. The difference is we're willing to change so that we can fit. We're willing to have some of the corners knocked off. Not all of them, and certain ones we're not willing to have touched. But we're willing to have some of the corners knocked off so that we can try and fit a little bit better. In other words, some people are interested in this and some people are not. And it was interesting, this person then defended themselves and said, well, I'm progressing in my way and everyone has their own path. And, you know, the old blah, blah, blah routine that you always hear from people who put their hand on the plowshare, look back. They look back and they go, why do I want to do this? Why don't I just go back there to bed? Why don't I go back to my nice warm house? What am I doing out here plowing a field in this horrible weather and it's hard work and I have to do it all alone and there's no one to help me and there's no hope and there's no way that I'm going to get this whole field plowed with the time that I have left. So why don't I just go back in the house where I was comfortable and well fed and warm and everything was okay and I got my TV and I got my kids and I got my husband or my wife and I got my friends and, and I've got my job and I've got you know my big screen and I've got my stereo and why don't I just go back there. I don't know. Why don't you? Well, that's right. I'm going. And then they go. It's like, well, okay. I've seen that happen more times than I've seen it not happen. I've seen more people look back from the handle of the plow than go on with it. Because that's what we do. Because self-change must be understood to be attempted. And if people don't understand what it's about, they can't even attempt it. They will always go back to the nice warm house. This is why so few attempt it and most fail when they do attempt it. Of course, there are plenty of people who try to change others, not understanding that it's impossible. As you'll find most people, they get their hand on the plow and they go over to your field. They stay out of their field. They're over there in your field. Here, I'm helping you. And you're just like, hey, cut that out. That's my garden. Get out of there. That's my driveway. Don't do that. But they don't care. They're helping you. Well, just shut up. I'm helping you. And you're probably one of those people, too. You ever find yourself plowing in somebody else's field? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And I love the way we justify it. I said something to Rachel a couple weeks ago. I said, well, were you being kind of nasty when you said that to me? She said, no, I was helping you. I was just showing you how you are. And I thought, isn't that interesting how we always justify the thing that we do? You know, we just go, no, it's not nasty. I'm helping you. When you do it, it's nasty. When I do it, it's help. Well, isn't that just like us? You can't legislate change in people. One of the things that the world, you would think, if we, if we ever learned anything from history except that we don't learn from history, you would think that they would understand that legislating morality doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's never worked and it never will work because you can't make someone, you can't compel someone to change, to be moral, to be good. It's impossible. You can't do it. Now, the problem is, is they may obey out of fear or self-interest for a little while, but as soon as they're out of the light, they won't change. They just obey for a little while because of fear or self-interest. We must see for ourselves that we are in dire need of change. But if your life is pretty good, if you're doing okay, this person I was talking to, I said, well, are you working? No, I lost my job in June, but we're okay. I said, well, that's great. It's good to be okay, because if you're okay, you don't need to change anything. If you're okay and something doesn't fit, you just don't have to try it on. The only time that you have to try something on that doesn't fit is if you're in dire straits. If your house is on fire and you're in bed and you're naked, pretty much heading out of that house, you'll grab anything, whether it fits or not, whether it looks good or not, and you'll put it on and get outside. But if you don't know your house is on fire, you're going to be going through the wardrobe. Oh, let me see. What should I wear? Oh, that doesn't fit. Oh, I don't like that. That doesn't make me look good. Do you understand the difference? You have to understand that your house is on fire and that you're inside of it in order to attempt this kind of work. The problem with our thing from another world is that we cannot be told about it without becoming violent. Oh, that's not true. I don't become violent. Oh, well, it depends on how hard you're pressed. If you start to give people the signal to back off from whatever it is they're trespassing in, from your field, from your garden, from your living room, whatever it is they're trespassing in internally, if you give them the back off signal and they don't back off, trust me on this, you get violent. How do I know that? Because I've stomped through your garden with muddy boots on, and I've seen you violent. That's how I know that. How difficult it is to accept anything adverse said about us. So hard to accept. Woe unto the person who attempts it. They're going to get, it's like, you're messing with a porcupine. You don't know who you're messing with. You better back off. I'm warning you. Our eyes turn to Venetian blinds, or we get that look. Our backs bristle up, or we get that, we, the set of the jaw, whatever it is. Or we get that cool, cold, collected, solid face of solid stone, you know, and we, we realize, okay, this backs them off. They don't like this. This will work. We do all kinds of things to get people out of that area where they might be able to observe and point out something adverse about us. And we are the people who wish to change. We are the people who are attempting to work on ourselves. We are the people who wonder, is there any hope for us? Well, when you look at that part of us, I wonder if there's any hope as well. Are you going to let go of the anchor? Are you going to allow somebody to speak into your life? Are you going to take a look yourself? If we try to point out another's shortcomings, he'll become contemptuous and furious. Over the years, I've listened to a lot of stories about how others make life difficult for a person. I've had people come to me for years and years and years and tell me about their husband, their wife, their kids, their boss, their uncle, their employee, the government, this, that, somebody else who's making their life miserable. And I usually listen very patiently, and then it comes to the time to say something And that's something usually is, well, yes, I understand that. You made that very clear. Now, I wonder, is there any possibility that you have anything to do with this? That perhaps you're not 
all lily white, that maybe you're not the victim here. And to varying degrees, what usually flies back in my face is rage, contempt, anger, fury, denial. You just don't understand. Well, if you were in this situation, then you would understand all that stuff. Remember, before I said that, I was just like the greatest guy in the world because I was listening to all this garbage. But the moment that the light is turned and shined back on the person, that's the moment that it's like, okay, everything's changed now. Maybe you've had an experience like that. If you lived on this planet long, you have. You must begin to notice the thing in yourself that forces you to behave like an ass in so many situations and in so many different ways. You have to see, eventually. Everybody in this life has to see, eventually. I acted like an ass in that situation. And when you do, you have to wonder why. We don't wonder why because we know it's that person made us do that. But what is that thing in you that compelled you to dance to that other person's tune? When they were piping away, why is it that you started dancing? Well, they made me dance. Really? Well, can they make you do a different dance? Oh, no, I don't do that dance. Well, maybe not with that person you don't. But if some other person comes along with their guitar or their violin, you'll do that dance. Well, yeah, but, but they make me do that. Eventually, you've got to look at, this is in you. There's something in you that's compelling you to dance, that's compelling you to act in this way. You've got to begin to know it yourself. When we search for it, we don't find it because it appears to lie much deeper than false personality. See, we're concerned with false personality, observing all of this and all of that. But there's this something that lies so much deeper than that, and we don't even know how to begin to observe it. Esoteric teachings tell us that man is incomplete. He's not finished. We sense this ourselves. We sense this something inside of us that's just not complete. There's a hole somewhere in us, deep inside. Our problem is, as a race of people, human beings, that we look in the wrong direction for completion. We look at the only window that we know, and that is the five senses. We look through the five senses, and we think, well, if I feel incomplete, there's something out there that can fill me. If you feel incomplete, then you know if you'll just find somebody who loves you, that will complete you. If you feel incomplete, then you know that all you have to do is have the right food and have a nice good meal, and that will complete you because you're hungry. And if you're hungry for love, then you go that way. If you're hungry for food, then you go that way. And if you're hungry for love and you've given up on the idea that you're ever going to have love, then you go to food or you go to drugs or you go to whatever. It's all drugs. It's all the same thing. We think that we're self-made men and women. And we're not really. We were made by other people. But even the part that we did make, we quit too soon. We just never finished. We must begin to increase our area of consciousness by observing ourselves through an interior sense that we possess. Everyone possesses this interior sense. That doesn't mean everyone uses it. Everyone possesses it. Very few use it because it's very difficult to use, especially in the beginning when you first start to handle it. It's very difficult to handle. It's big. It's unwieldy. It's heavy. We don't know where the handle is. We don't know how to lift it. It's like a big bag of sand. It's like a 200-pound bag of sand in a 500-pound bag. And no matter where you grab it, the sand runs into the other part. And you can't really pick it up. You can't really get a grip on it. And self-observation is like that for us in the beginning. We can't really get a grip on it. We can't really handle it. We can't really deal with it. So we have to start with a little bit and then work up to the rest. But we don't usually have the patience for that. Maurice Nicole said, If a person begins to observe himself in the light of work, he gradually, after years of work on himself, begins to see what others have pointed out or have wished to point out, have longed to point out, but didn't dare point out. If we can see for ourselves even a glimpse of the thing from another world, it's not aroused antagonistically, violently. 
if someone else points it out, that thing is aroused contemptuously, violently, antagonistically. It comes out all teeth and claws, all fangs and power to defend, to lash out, to back off the intruder. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever caught yourself that way, caught yourself under the influence of the thing from another world. You know you're progressing when you begin to accept what you would never have accepted from another. This is what we need to be looking at. We need to be looking at what we can accept from others that we could never accept before. I said something uh, to Lori last night. I was on holy ground. She had fixed dinner, and so I was eating the soup, and there's a new squash that, the squash that, that we're growing in the garden called opo. Lori had prepared opo. It was the first time. Yeah, Lori had prepared opo for the first time last night. And uh, she had this opo soup. And I noticed that as I was eating the soup that she had peeled the opo, which is one of the things that you have to do. You don't have to do, obviously, but one of the things that makes it nice to eat if you do it. If you peel it, it makes it nicer to eat because then you're not chewing on these skins and spitting them out because they're not edible. And also, then you have to take out the seeds and all the center stuff. I mentioned to her that you needed to take out the center stuff, cut it in half and take a spoon and scoop out that center. She said, well, the recipes have it both ways. Different recipes have it both ways. Leave them in or take them out. And I said, oh, I apologize for attacking you or offending you. She said, you, you didn't offend me. You didn't attack me. I said, well, if I didn't attack you, why are you defending yourself? And she said, oh, I am. I am defending myself. I said, yeah, it's what we do. And so that offense, we're friends, but she still was like, back off. You're messing with my food. I fixed this and I did it according to the recipe and you don't know everything, so shut up. Of course, she didn't say that, but had I kept pushing, she would have gone to that. And if she hadn't gone to it externally, she'd have been swimming in it internally. That's what I'm talking about. You've got to see that antagonism, that violence, that that thing comes back with. But if Lori had seen that herself, wouldn't have been any problem at all. The thing wouldn't have minded. You know you're progressing when you begin to accept what you would never have accepted from another. You know you're progressing when somebody can talk about your food and you don't get upset. You can just accept it. Say, oh, well, thanks. Yeah, that's a good idea. What has changed? The thing is closely connected to acquired attitudes. What are our acquired attitudes? Our education, religion, social position, prejudices, the country we grew up in, or for some of us here in the United States, the state. There's some people from Texas who never let anyone forget that. That's just the way it is. Your football team, your baseball team, your basketball team, your soccer team, your hockey team, whatever. People get identified with those things. Through identification, we eventually become our attitudes without ever knowing it. Well, people from this state have a certain attitude. Well, yes, I'm sure they do. And people from that state have another attitude. Yes, I'm sure they do. That's right. But they don't know it. And the state you're from, they have a certain attitude too. But you don't know it. Or oh, you may know it about them, but you don't have it. I noticed while talking to my mother yesterday, I was talking to her on the phone, she couldn't hear me when what I was saying went against her acquired attitudes. I mean, literally could not hear me. Literally. She said, what? I don't, what are you saying? I don't, well, the, you're breaking up. <laughs> are, are you on a speakerphone? No, mom. Oh, well, I don't understand you. I said, I see that. <laughs> so as soon as I backed away from that thing she couldn't hear me about, she heard me perfectly again. Attitudes begin forming in the intellectual center from what we're told or shown. And then they act on the emotional center. But it begins with what we're told and accept. And when we're children, we accept some mighty strange things. And we're told some pretty fantastic stuff. 
and we accept it. And you'll notice this most of all if you have any kind of religious background as a child. You'll notice this most of all in religion. If you were educated as a child, you'll notice it in your education. If you were raised by strong or weak parents, you will notice it in how you were raised. That we are told things and we accept them. I remember when I was in, I just got into high school, and I think it was, uh, yeah, Richard Nixon and John Kennedy were both running for president. And we were Democrats. That means my parents were Democrats. And they told me for years about Adelaide Stevenson and the Democrats and the Republicans, and Republicans are bad and Democrats are good. And so I heard that for years. And so we were Democrats because I accepted it all. And that's the way it was. And, you know, a lot of people never get out of that. A lot of people never think for themselves. A lot of people never observe the facts and think for themselves. So you might ask me now, well, what are you? Are you still a Democrat? No. Well, now you're a Republican. No. Well, you're an independent? No. Well, what are you? I'm me, and they are insane, all of them. Anyone who thinks that they're going to change the world through legislation, through wars, through compulsion, through taxation, through anything, anybody who thinks that, they are delusional. The only way to change is to change yourself. And are they doing that? No. They're too busy trying to fix us, trying to fix it. Does it ever get fixed? Well, it's been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And it's still the same thing. So I would say it doesn't get fixed that way. Attitudes. It all starts with what we're told and we accept. What we call thinking is really nothing more than regurgitation of acquired attitudes which fly under our radar undetected. Your opinions, you know, I've said opinions are always wrong, and people take issue with that. As a matter of fact, I said that the other day, and Cecily said, well, that's an opinion. Ironic, isn't it? That's an opinion because you don't know that. If you knew the truth of that, you would know it's not an opinion. If you know the truth, that opinions are always wrong, and the truth is the only thing that's always right, then you would know that that's not an opinion, that that's a statement of truth. But if you don't know that, then it's an opinion, and that's the irony of the whole thing. So what we call thinking, it's not thinking. It's just the stuff that bubbles up out of our pool of acquired attitudes. And the thing is about our acquired attitudes is we don't know we have them. We can become aware of them in this work, but it's a very slow process. And it's difficult to be aware of them when we're having them, when we're in them. We could learn to think free from our attitudes, and it is this at which the work aims. The work is trying to get us to think in a new way, to change our thinking. In order to do that, we have to change our attitudes. In order to change our attitudes, we have to begin to see what they are. But we can't see what they are, at least not without help. If our centers were not overlaid with this web of acquired attitudes, the thing would not force us to serve it as if we were mere lap dogs. Do you have any idea how much you serve your attitudes, your past, your history? No, I don't either. But I have an idea that it's more than I'd like. That's what I have an idea about. I think it's more than I'd like. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. I wish Solomon said that, Ecclesiastes 7.29. I have found only this. So really what he's saying is, I've observed this, that men were made upright, but we've sought out many devices. We were made upright with a little hollow spot inside of us. And we sought out many devices through the five senses to try and fill that hollow spot. And we've never succeeded, and we never will, because it cannot be filled through the five senses. It cannot be filled by what can be touched, what can be smelled, what can be seen, what can be heard, what can be felt, what can be tasted. It can't be filled with that. But we keep trying. 
The work invites us to allow it to tear us away from our ingrained, acquired attitudes, but we become offended and leave for greener pastures. How many times have you wanted to leave the group? Yeah, I can tell by the smile on your face, plenty. You mean today or? <laughs> Just since I've been talking. <laughs> well, about six times, actually. It's when you said that. Ospensky said, when people reach a certain stage of inner development, they come to a point where they have to give up their particular belief. This is the most difficult thing to do at this stage. We're speaking of schools. Many leave. That's been my experience. Has it been yours? You remember we had that one guy here who came from down south. He would drive up every week, and he was just like, this was the greatest place in the world until the day that I confronted him with something, and we never saw him again. I've seen that happen so many times that it's like when it doesn't happen, I'm surprised. When I actually give somebody the opportunity to see something about themselves and they don't run from the room like their hair is on fire, I'm surprised. It's like, wow, maybe they didn't hear what I said. (laughs) Maybe it hasn't sunken in yet. And then, of course, you find that there's some people who sit there and, and go, oh, yes. And then after the meeting's over and they leave, then you never see them again. But the bottom line is, it is the most difficult thing for us to do. They go so far, but they cannot give themselves up. This is really what this is about. Giving yourself up. Then what will I have? Promise me something better, or I won't give myself up. That's not how it works. It's very difficult to give up our acquired attitudes. Make no mistake, that is what all our beliefs are. Every belief that you hold is little more than an acquired attitude. It's someone else's. It's not yours. You acquired it from outside of yourself. You did not get it from where you should be getting things. The thing is the keeper of our acquired attitudes, and it must eventually give way so we can become passive to ourselves. And when we become passive to ourselves, we'll begin to hear or be able to hear what the higher centers are saying to us all the time. Because we think we're God, we will observe things about ourselves, but we will never observe ourselves. We'll take all that for granted. We'll observe things about ourselves, but we won't observe ourselves. So what you've been doing all this time is observing things about yourself, but not observing yourself. That remains hidden from you. That remains guarded by the thing from another world. (laughs) I know I'm so dramatic sometimes, it really makes me laugh. It's all acquired. So what is it that we don't observe about ourselves? Well, the attitude that we're God. We don't see that very often, do we? But we have seen it. Haven't you seen that you actually believe that you're God? That you should be worshipped and adored? That you should be obeyed no matter what? Yes, we've seen that. But we don't know that we have that, do we? It's not something we live with on a daily basis. It's something we get a glimpse of from time to time. But we don't operate from that. We don't operate from, oh, it just thinks it's God. Because if we could do that, we would be separated from it. We would be able to separate from it and say, oh, it it just thinks it's God. Pay no attention to that. It just thinks it's God. Don't pay any attention to him and what he says. He thinks he's God. If you're talking about yourself, you have separated from yourself. We can't observe anything we take as ourself, and we can't hear anyone fool enough to point it out to us. (laughs) And there are people like me who are fool enough to point it out to you. We must make our subjectivity objective. Divide ourselves into two, an observing side and an observed side. Ospensky said, a man who always justifies what he observes in himself cannot become objective to himself. Well, that means that we can't become objective to ourselves because we always justify what we see in ourselves. When we have work days, some people won't work, don't show up because they don't do such things. And one guy said, I don't do that. I hire other people to do that. I won't do that. That's an attitude. But you see, 
When you're in it, it's not an attitude. It's the way it is. We either don't see it or we justify having it. So I asked this person, well, why is that? He said, well, my mother told me that I was never going to have to do manual labor. I was never going to have to do that. That was not for me. I said, oh, I see. So he justified his attitude. Rather than dealing with it, he justified it. And of course, when you justify it, you get to keep it. Begin to ask yourself why you think such things are useless. The thing that I would like to say to that guy, if he were here, and of course he's not here, the thing I would like to say to that guy is, why do you think that doing such things is useless? Well, my mother told me I would never have to do that. Yes, but why do you think it's useless? Why do you think there's no point in it? Why do you think you won't get value from this? That's what you need to ask yourself. Why is it that you think it's useless? Perhaps you'll begin to see the thing is running you through a fixed attitude. The thing is behind the fixed attitude, and it is running you and making you do what is not in your best interest through that fixed attitude. Behind the unobserved or justified attitude is the thing from another world. We can't stop taking ourselves, our acquired attitudes, for granted, but we can begin to doubt our own integrity, and that will let the light in, and that light will be able to work in us a little bit. Right now, that's about as good as it gets for us, for the light to come in and work in us a little bit. You can't expect, well, you can expect, but you're not going to, you're going to be disappointed. If you expect the light to do miracles in you, oh, it will, but you won't call them miracles. You'll take them for granted, because that's what we do, because it's never enough for us. We always want more. No matter what it is, no matter what the light has granted you, it's rare for us to ever accept that and be grateful for that. We'll always want more, and we'll end up asking things like, is there any hope? There's only hope if you're looking at the right end. So, what must we do? Begin to examine your fixed attitudes. When you find yourself with a piece of steel in your spine, that's a good time to ask yourself, is this the kind of flexibility that promotes the transformation that I'm seeking? Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.